how have the cases been made from a legal point of view? Barbara McQuaid joins us, a former U.S. attorney in Eastern District, also a contributor to MSNBC. Barbara, always nice to talk to you. How are you? Thanks, Mitch. I'm doing well. Thanks for having me. So from a legal point of view, how do you feel each side represented their case? I thought he said actually did quite well. You know, I think that most of us get our law from television and movies and books where the lawyers are all, uh, you know, very dramatic and eloquent. And, you know, in real life, it is the evidence that does the talking. And so the the best lawyers are, you know, like a good umpire that get out of the way and you don't notice them because the, right. they allow the facts to shine. Right, right. So if they, you know, I'm if a, they, our prosecutor, so I, I, I tend to view the prosecution maybe more favorably. I thought they did a better job in the case with what they had, but I thought both sides did a, did a fine job. The jury's in the room, and the lead juror says, all right, what does this case come down to for us? What would the answer be? Well, the defense tried to poke holes in three spaces, I guess. One was causation. Yeah, we all saw the video, but do we really know what caused his death? I think that's one. They also tried to poke some holes in the whether Officer Chauvin acted like a reasonable police officer. And then I think they also tried to suggest that the crowd on the street added to distracted him and and caused him to feel a sense of alarm um i I think if i were advising them the key question here is causation uh it's an essential element of homicide and it's one that you really can't observe you can't put yourself in anyone's shoes you really have to listen to experts and although i thought the prosecution experts did an excellent job uh, i thought they were better than the defense experts all you need from the defense perspective is to create sufficient reasonable doubt and so it's not just I like this expert better than that, that expert. If the defense experts created reasonable doubt, that could be uh, a reason for the jury to acquit. Why was it that the prosecution took so long and the defense so short? Well, that goes down to the burden of, of proof, and that's pretty typical in most cases. The prosecution has to put on evidence. They really have to tell the whole story. They have to prove uh, each and every element of all three of those counts. Um, and, and the defense, on the other hand, could put on no defense whatsoever. And oftentimes, more often than not, the defense actually doesn't put on a case. All they do is cross-examine the government's witnesses. But they did. They put on, I think they called seven witnesses to try to rebut some of this expert testimony. And so that is actually a, a pretty typical scenario. The prosecution made several points that I thought were interesting about what the case is not about. And they told the jury, this is not Minnesota versus the police. And then they went on to say they're from some fine police officers, which is not what they're saying on the, on the outside of the courthouse in many cases. Then they said, this is not a case of George Floyd. We're not trying George Floyd here as to, uh, you know, whether he was uh, had criminal background or what he did or any of the rest of that stuff. And it, it seems that that's probably a necessary thing to say, because probably in all the jurors' minds, this is about a lot of things, and they're trying to get it down to be about one thing. Uh, what does the defense say this is the one thing about? Yeah, well, I think one of the defense would say what it's not about is, um, you know, all of policing and all of America being on trial. This case is about um, just the conduct of, of Derek Chauvin on this particular day. And so I think they'll want to say you know, what they have said is that his conduct was reasonable under these very unusual circumstances and that his conduct did not cause the death, which I think is, again, probably the thing. It is the thing they spent most time on. 
and it's probably strategically the best area for them just because it's so difficult to prove what was the causation. We really have to take the word of these experts rather than trusting our own eyes. Everybody knows what they saw in that video, but no one can see whether it's the heart or the lungs that's the actual cause right. of death. So I, although I think they got a little long-winded, I think they did correctly focus on that as a matter of strategy. And the the ch- actual charges, you know, the various degrees of, of murder, how does mm-hmm. that clarify or complicate matters for the jury to try to make a decision? I think it definitely makes it harder for the jury to decide. They've got three options, a second-degree manslaughter, a second-degree murder, and a third-degree murder. But most of those are are very similar. You know, they have to decide that it was uh, Derek Chauvin who engaged in this conduct and that he caused the death and that it happened on this date in Hennepin County. And so really the only thing that changes is the level of intent on on that a crime. And so whether it was simply culpable negligence, whether he was engaged in an assault, or whether he engaged in something they call a depraved heart, that he was so reckless as to show a wanton disregard for the value of human life. Um, and that's something they're going to have to sort through to figure out which of those three fits best. So um, th- it could be that they decide very quickly that, yes, a homicide occurred here, and then spend a lot of time figuring out which kind. Is there a, a, a scenario in which not guilty of one but guilty of the other comes into play? Yes, that's possible. And in fact, it is very often the case, you know, you never know exactly what a jury did, but you can see some things that appear to be uh, some sometimes uh, people are negotiating and sometimes compromising when they come up with something that's an in-between, you know, they um Nobody, somebody is, is advocating for murder, too. Somebody else is advocating for uh, ma- uh, manslaughter. And so they compromise to, to murder three in the end. So you could see something like that uh, come out here. So so it's not three up or three down across the board here. It's, it's possible you'll hear not guilty that one, but guilty to this one, as opposed to not guilty, not guilty, not guilty, or guilty, guilty, guilty. Yes, so they're, they're going to have to make separate verdicts on each of those three. And then what the judge does is, based on those findings, will impose a sentence to the highest of the three. So he won't, you know, if it's three guilty verdicts, he won't uh, triple up the punishment. He will punish the defendant to the, you know, the highest The highest one. of that one, yeah. And, and, yeah. and what, what, is the, what is the highest of the most severe and what is the lowest of the least severe? I think the murder, too, carries a potential 40 years, um, but sentencing guidelines suggest that uh, he would only serve around 10 years, even under that one. Murder three is 25 years, I believe. And then the manslaughter, I don't know, Mitch. I haven't looked at it, but it's certainly something lesser than that. So I think there are a lot of people walking around out here in the world thinking, oh, I saw that. He's so guilty. He'll be put away for life. Mm -hmm. But what you're saying is there's no scenario here that he gets put away for life. No, I, I don't think so. The maximum is 40 years, and as we said, the sentencing guidelines in the situation are about 10 and a half years. So it seems like worst-case scenario, that's it. There is a sentencing enhancement that they just discussed um, that could add to, those, to, to that time, but, but not much more than that. I wonder if even if he's found guilty— when those details come out, if uh, the people who are angriest about it will, will find that satisfactory. Yeah, I don't know, but I, I do think a guilty verdict, finding a police officer guilty of a, of a crime 
is, uh, as you know, can be very difficult. It's very challenging. And I think that when a jury um, says that a, a person is guilty, it brings with it this thought of moral condemnation that this is not okay in America. And so I think a guilty verdict will have a, a, a powerful message. If you had to put your money on one or the other, what would it be? You know, I, I don't think I would. I think it's really difficult. You know, it's uh, it's sort of like a sporting event, Mitch. You can probably appreciate that. You watch a sporting event on television, and you, you sort of, you know, you see some parts of it, but you only see bits of it. You have to really be there at the game to appreciate all the little things that are going on. You know, watching the batter step out and look at the signs getting flashed from the third base coach and watching the shortstop and the second baseman exchanging signals as to who's going to cover. There's an awful lot going on in the courtroom that uh, I don't think we were able to see on television. So I'm not going to guess. The only thing I'll guess is how long the jury will be out, and I'm going to say three days. Typically people say uh, one day per each week of testimony. You know your baseball, Barbara. I gotta say, that was pretty good. That sounds really good. Really you know, third big coach. I really first been the manager of the Tigers. <laughs> you could have been. Could have been. Could have been, Barbara. Thank you. It's always good to talk to you. Okay. Thank you, Barbara, Mitch. Barbara McQuaid joining us here, former U.S. Uh, attorney for the Eastern District.